Good morning. Hello. We're so excited that you're here. I'm Karen Broadhead, the director of Mothers Who Know, and you are here for our Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope webinar series. We're so excited today for our guest, Ben Smith. Mothers Who Know, our motto is Stay by the Tree, and our theme is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So grateful to be able to share that with you this morning and that you would take your time to be with us. I'm gonna turn the time over to BJ for some information before we get started. Hey, thank you, Karen. It is our favorite thing to see you moms, your squares popping up and your faces popping up on the screen. We just really, it's just exciting to be here. And we have loved this series of Stay by the Tree. We call it Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope. And it's a three week series. And this is the last of the series. And we have Ben Smith here with us today. And just so you know, a little bit of the format of this class today, this presentation, presentation. Ben will be presenting after we give you a little bit of information and we introduce him. And at the end of his presentation, Ben has so kindly offered to answer questions. We just wanted to give a shout out to the, the neat people that sponsor this webinar series, Life-Changing Services, Mothers Who Know, and Mom Power Training. And Life-Changing Services is this awesome group of Latter-day Saint therapists and professionals that like to provide gospel center training and healing. They have several different programs. You can go to lifechangingservices.org to find out a little bit more about the programs they have to offer. Ben knows a lot about those because he's involved, um, highly involved with two of those. And so this will be fun to have him here today. One of the programs that Life-Changing Services offers is called Mothers Who Know. And Mothers Who Know is just an online faith-filled gathering place for all women who are Desiring to joyfully support their self and their loved ones, because we are navigating just a lots of challenges in our time. And it's just such a powerful place to find connection, support and training and hope. Mothers Who Know offers just a variety of different classes and support groups and webinar series like this one that we have and also podcasts and just so much more. Lots, most of their resources are free and I have been just the beneficiary of lots of the things that they offer. One of the, the resources that Mothers Who Know offers is called Mom Power Training. Mom Power Training is just this eight-week self-guided online training that you can just um, do when it's convenient for you and listen. And Karen Broadhead, she's the one that started this meeting. She has been the parent support specialist at Life Changing Services for over a decade and is the founder and director of Mothers Who Know. And she teaches those, those eight different trainings and also she is the one that comes and facilitates those live Zoom meetings. So you can go to, you can just go to mompowertraining.org and register. And it really is just a free series. We're so happy that that's something that is offered. And it's been just such a great thing. So today, Ben's going to be presenting for our uh, Messages of Hope series. And he's going to be talking about the war against our sexualized culture. And just talking about little changes that make the biggest difference. Ben has just um, had so much experience working with so many different people and learned so much. And we've had a fun time visiting with him just a week or so ago. And 
just learning a little bit about what made him think of this topic and wanting to share this. And we're just thrilled to have him here and be able to, to listen and, and learn from him today. We just wanted to let you know about the name of this series. The name of the series, Stay by the Tree, comes from the scriptural account in the Book of Mormon that's often called the Tree of Life Vision, where Lehi is watching his family try to navigate things. And he's watching some of the, his family members wander. And what he does is he beckons from the tree and he stays by the tree and he stays close to the Savior. And he doesn't leave the tree and go out and grab people that he loves and bring them to the Savior. He just beckons. Um, it's such a beautiful influence there. And we watch that as parents as, how can we do this? How can we do this? And we love that example. We wanted to just let you know a little bit about Ben before we get started here in just a minute. Ben? is a registered, he's a marriage and family therapist, and he earned his master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And he also did some, his undergraduate work with in Spanish. And we heard, we heard him speaking in Spanish before we started here today. And he also completed his postgraduate training and has some experience now and also his associate sexual addiction therapist. He's had just quite a bit of training and, and personal experience and professional experience. He's been a sense of Helaman and Menomoroni clinician at life-changing services. And he also works with clients in his private practice where he also does coaching and counseling and consulting. He specializes in working with men and young single adult men, and also young men that are ages of 13 to 18. And you can find out a little bit more about Ben at taylorlyman.com. One thing that Ben does is he has this third Saturday parent Zoom call where he'll just meet with parents that it's mostly parents that have sons in the Sons of Helaman program, but he has just extended that to say, come and meet with me if I can help to answer questions. And so this is a little bit about what that is. There's the Zoom meeting idea. I'm going to put that link in the chat. Just in case you're feeling like, I would love to be able to meet with Ben. He meets on the third Saturday of every month at 12 p.m. Mountain Time and just generously offers his guidance and information and parents just have a chance to say, hey, I have a question. I'm, I'm trying to support a loved one or a son here and I have a question there. So thanks so much for offering that, Ben. That's been just a unique thing that Ben just came up with and, and wanted to do. We love how he supports that. We're really excited about this, about this podcast that's, that Ben is just about to launch. It's called Facing Fear with Ben Smith. And Ben, I hope you'll tell us just a little bit more about that before we leave today. But please watch for that podcast to be coming. It'll be on your any of your podcast channels, Facing Fear with Ben Smith. And then just a tiny bit about Ben's family. And then we'll, Ben, we'll hand it over to you. But Ben has eight children, five biological children who live in Tennessee and three stepchildren who live with him and his wife um, in Utah. So Ben will say that his wife, Shannon, is his best friend and they've been married for a little over five years. He's really looking forward to adopting and being still to his stepchildren as they each turn 18. So Ben, we're going to go ahead and just, um, just so grateful for you and your good heart. It's been so fun to get to know you for a few months since we've been able to interact a little bit lately, but we just, your goodness is so genuine and obvious. And we just really appreciate that. And are looking forward to 
what you'll be sharing here today. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. I am really nervous now. I, I did all this hype about Ben Smith and here, I don't know what to say. Just it's hard. It's hard to, for me to believe that I'm I'm here and that I do what I do. Yeah, I hope that what what I have to share is going to be of value to somebody. And yeah, just I'm just super excited and grateful for the opportunity. So thank you for all all y'all for letting me be here. Should we get started? Ready for this? Okay. All right. I shared with with BJ and Luann the other day about how I chose the topic. And it, it really just boils down to, I'm a little perturbed to say it nicely. I'm slightly upset at the way Satan has gone about his work. And I'm an advocate for women. I guess I'm a, a feminist as much as a male can be. I want to be an advocate for, for women. So the war against our sexualized culture, and I'm going to talk about, it's kind of twofold. I'll be talking about that war and the little bit of statistics and things like that around around our portified culture, sexualized culture, however you want to call it. And, and then we'll talk a little bit more about changes, things that we can do. But this is me and my five kids back in 2015. There should be a familiar face on there besides mine. This was in Greenville, South Carolina. We were, I followed Maurice around. He was doing some fireside speaking events. And I just asked if I could follow and shadow and bring my five kids with me. I was uh, a single dad at the time. I had just uh, gotten divorced. And I don't know if you can tell there or not, but I'm pretty skinny. I'd lost a lot of weight. Yeah, I just, I was not in a great place at that at that point, but I sure loved being with my kids every weekend. And so I, I decided to to take them with me and make it an adventure. And this, hopefully this will give you an idea that Maurice is just as goofy as I am. If you didn't know Maurice very well, he is, he, he is a clown. And we just all had a great time hanging out together. And, and I, I learned a lot from Maurice. So shortly after that experience, that little trip, I met my wife. This is Shannon. We got married in June of 2016. And we have, well, she has three kids. These are the three kids that I'm hoping to adopt when they turn 18. Addie is the oldest. She's, she's already turned 18. So we're planning on working on some plans for having her sealed to us. And then Ian is in the green shirt and Finn. Finn is the rambunctious. He's now 14 years old, but yeah, I love, love my stepkids. Love my, my five kids in Tennessee. But there's another little photo of us. We were driving through Tennessee, from Tennessee to Utah. Decided to stop in the Four Corners, which is really, really close to where I grew up. And lots, a lot has happened since then. I went and got some training in Toronto. Canada, some coaching, training and, and whatnot, and then I made a decision that I was going to go be an international speaker for some reason. I'm not even sure why that was important to me at the time, but it was. And because I had that desire, the law of attraction started taking effect and I found myself in China. So I went and spoke to several university in several universities to undergraduate students and professors while I was there in China and had a great time while I was there. Shortly after that, went to Cambodia and spoke to church leaders and had some pretty powerful spiritual experiences while I was there. As was mentioned earlier, I have a podcast starting up pretty soon and um, super excited about that. It, it's called Facing Fear because I think that almost every person on the planet 
has, well, not almost, I think everybody on the planet has a very powerful story of how they've overcome fear. And so I'll be starting with interviewing several of my Men of Moroni guys and just essentially asking them what, what their story is with overcoming fear and let them just share their story. And then we'll be, be inviting other people as well to share their experiences, but um, just super grateful for the, the ideas that, and the inspiration that has come with, with all of this. I'm hoping that it'll make a big difference and be a help for other people as well. I found this quote the other day as we were reading and preached my gospel. It says, Satan is attacking the family on many fronts and too many families are being destroyed by his efforts. I found this to be true more than ever shortly after I got divorced. I realized that Satan was using a whole lot of people around me to try and influence me and make me believe that that he wasn't even a problem in my life. I, as I, as I said earlier, I, I was able to have my kids every weekend as part of the parenting plan. And so I tried to spend as much time as I possibly could with them every weekend. And I would invite the sister missionaries over every weekend and they would share lessons. And I wanted it to be as much of a spiritual experience for my kids as possible. I've I've experienced some some betrayal trauma, but I think it's probably a little bit different than than what most women experience with your, your with your sons and for spouses. I think that's. I, I want to say that your pain is is a little bit stronger than what I experienced. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I there, there I'm sure there's quite a bit of a difference there. But I do know what it feels like to be betrayed, and it's a dark place. As I had my children each weekend and I was trying my best to help them experience the spirit as much as possible. I would get emails, not all the time, but but occasionally from my ex-wife telling me that I'm scaring the kids by talking about Satan too much. And I recognized that it was also a satanic attack on me. And rarely did I reply to those types of emails, but it was Satan trying to, to mess with me. And I found out that Satan does this often with people that we love or we cared about or care about currently. And that really bothers me. It really bothers. I'm going to dive into a couple of difficult things here now as well. I'm going to read a couple of things here. It used to be that a perpetrator was needed to perpetrate onto someone else, but that is not the case anymore. Our culture has, has done some, has been seduced in many ways so that a, an actual person perpetrator is no longer, no longer needed. Gail Dines, I'm a fan of hers. She is a feminist, a wonderful speaker about pornography and the negative effects that it has on, on our culture. She interviewed a guy who was in prison for child rape, and he explained to her how he groomed his stepdaughter. He said the most important thing that was for her to know that she was, she was hot or sexy, and her worth was derived from how hot she felt by him. And he knew this about her and knew how to seduce her. And so he told her this often, but he didn't have to do much. And the question is, do you know why? And this is what he said. The culture did a lot of the grooming for me, which is sad. It's very, very sad. And it's true. Our culture does these types of things. And, and we're not even really aware that they're going on, that they're happening. We can see it all over on billboards and magazines and media all over the place. But it's very, very subtle in many other instances. There were, were 304 scenes analyzed from pornography videos, movies. 90% of those 
scenes, those 304 scenes contained at least one aggressive act if both physical and verbal aggression were combined. So it's not just the pornography that is viewed that is destructive, but it's also violence against women. And growing up, these young boys are are faced more and more with this aggression towards women. I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding or trying to imagine how this is going to play out in future generations of adult men who have grown up with this idea that this is what what love is or how sex should be. It really, really disturbs me. This is an interesting thing. I did not know this until relatively recently, until a couple of years ago, but Pornhub is the biggest pornography producer, and it's owned by a company called MindGeek. If you look up MindGeek on the internet, you'll find this little description. They do IT stuff, web development, search engine optimization stuff. They advertise and want people to work for them. They're leaders in design, development, marketing, SEO management of highly trafficked websites. Apply for an exciting IT career today. What they don't tell you is that all of their stuff, most of their, all of their revenue is derived from pornography. And the people who own MindGeek are evasive in their, in the way they handle business. They've been sued and relatively, relatively recently as well. But you can find this on the internet as well. It's a Canadian company. It's primarily focuses on pornography. It's owned by these people. And Bernard Bergamar, he's the guy who owns most of the profits in all of it. And yeah, there's even an article written by the New York Post about him and about Pornhub, the Mind Geek, and all of that stuff. If you want to look at that, it's it's crazy, absolutely crazy how all this is starting to play out more and more. Dr. John Fubert said pornography is a recipe for rape. Tina Bin I May says pornography is really prostitution on screen, and Dr. Melissa Farley says pornography is a document of a woman's humiliation. So there's three aspects. There's trafficking that takes place human trafficking, sex slavery is part of that, and then pornography and prostitution. The world would have us believe that the, all three of them are, are very different and distinct parts. They're, but listen to this, porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And that was back in 2013 in the Huff and Huffington Post. Sex trafficking is a $99 billion industry, 4.5 million victims around the world, and 50% half our children. So all three of these pieces, they, they feed each other. They have a symbiotic relationship. They're, they're not separate. They all work simultaneously together. It's not obvious. The great pandemic we face today is, is not really COVID. It, as difficult as COVID is and, and painful, and many, I, I have friends and family who have, who have died because of it, we're losing more and more people to this other war, and we've got to do something about it. Gail Dines also has a website for as many of you to visit her website as possible. I've got it. I'll put it in the in references later on, and, and this will be given to whoever wants it. We'll post it so, so you all can have the presentation. But this is actually a, a podcast, and I've listened to it. It's absolutely amazing. She talks in detail about how to help your children out, understanding pornography and, and there's a little disclaimer in the beginning because it, she's just that real, just that raw and talks real with the person that is interviewing her about that. So highly recommend that. So there's five things that we can do, and I'm going to go over each of these to, to help make the biggest difference for our children and for our culture. 
The first one is team up with Operation Underground Railroad. There are many, many things that you can do. There's the, the website there. You can click on that. Once you get the presentation, you can click on those links and help with donations and other kinds of things. I have a young man, a young single adult guy in one of my Bender Moroni groups who does a, he started this last year as a passion project. He does an online music festival and he's teamed up with Operation Underground Railroad and does a music festival and, and has a lot of people joining him and then asks for donations. All of those donations go directly to Operation Underground Railroad. He gets nothing. He started off with a goal, with a goal of wanting to earn a or uh, donate $200. He was hoping you'd get $200. He ended up getting $1,700 last year when he did this. And hopefully in the future, we'll be trying to, he's trying to raise, I'm trying to help him with getting at least $10,000, which funds one mission, one operation for Operation Underground Railroad. That's some, an, one way we can help. There's a race that takes place in Utah it's called Run to Stop Traffic, and there's a link for that. It's coming up here pretty soon, I believe, and that's in Farmington. You can get trained in how to spot human trafficking. You can get a little certificate that, that uh, says you've been trained, and there's the, the link for that as well. You can create fundraisers and, and team up with them in that way as well. How cool would it be to have lots and lots of different places where you can go and, and help in this whole process? becoming part of that solution even more than you are. Another one is to get educated. There's the, the website for Gail Dines. Culture Reframed is the name of her organization and lots and lots of amazing trainings and videos to watch. And there's that link again for the, the podcast episode she's in. Fight the New Drug series. The quotes that I showed earlier came from that the video series. I highly recommend it. Very, very powerful information. I had a couple of guys, I was telling them I was going to be given a presentation this week, and I actually showed them a part of one of the videos. And one of the guys towards the end said something like, I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I've heard it so many times before. And it, it, I, I just have to kind of stop watching those things because it's just too often I hear this stuff and it kind of makes me feel shame for doing what I do. And my response to him wasn't all that, all that kind because Fight the New Drug has an agenda. Their agenda is to educate people about the harmful effect of, effects of pornography. And so I told him just to turn off the, the notifications that he didn't want to get anymore and, and not watch it, not, not even look at it anymore if that's how he felt about it. But if we're going to change our culture, we have to be immersed in it. We have to be educating ourselves more and more and more we have to be inviting other people, opening our mouths and, and talking about it. Obviously, I'm biased because I have life-changing services on there. I love working with life-changing services. I've been working with life-changing services now for eight years, and I've loved every minute of it. The people, the staff, I just, I have a tender place in my heart for all, all the people that I, that I work with. Another thing you can do to get educated is get in contact with this, this guy, Smith Alley. He's uh, 17 or 18 years old now. He is a graduate of Sons of Helaman, and he's created an organization that will help parents put filters on their devices at home and help you. He's gone through part of his struggle. His story is that he figured out all the different loopholes to look at pornography through all the different devices in the home, his parents' home. And now he's helping parents figure that out so they can help their their own children. So if you want some help with that, contact or look at Smith's website there. He's an awesome, awesome kid. I've met him in person and, and he's just 
just an awesome guy. Number three is be beware of shame. Many of us subconsciously and covertly shame our children. I know I still do. And even I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And I still find myself with that old paradigm, trying to not shame my kids. I know what shame is, but every now and then I catch myself and we've got to be become more aware of, of how we're doing this. So when we say things like you make me or what's wrong with you, those are shame statements because nobody really makes us, right? We, we have our own agency. We choose to feel a certain way. I love this in Doctrine and Covenants 121 verses 36 through 37, to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of, it says men, but are also talking about our children. So we have to be careful with the language we use when we're talking with our kids, especially around serving a mission. It's really, really toxic sometimes. When your desire for them should never be imposed, an imposed agenda or an expectation, rather consistent teaching about the importance and like an effective missionary, it's inviting them. So no coercion and no manipulation. Here's something to think about as well expectations when we're dealing with other people, other human beings are premeditated resentments. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that or not, but that's something to, to think about and ponder for a while. Other, in other words, expectations are Satan's counterfeit for hope. The more I think about this stuff, the more I study on it, the more I'm realizing Satan's really, really good. And he uses this little method of expecting people to do certain things when really we should be hoping that they do them instead. The power of uh, the statement, will you? Here's some more ideas on manipulating how we sometimes manipulate would you do this? Or could you do this? Do you think you might? Do you want to? Those seem really not very manipulative, but if you look at the core of them, there's really only one question we should be asking is, will you? Just ask, will you? There's one of two answers. It's either yes or no. And it has everything to do with our agency. Here's another paradigm shift. Unless your child is five years old or younger, please refer to yourself in first person. As a dad, sometimes I hear other men saying, to their children. Dad needs you to do this. Dad, or and, and mom wants to tell you something, wants to tell you to, to whatever that is, and referring to themselves in, in second or third person. But that's a really, really great way to communicate. It's really basic communication. Little kids, it's appropriate to talk to them like that. But, but when they get older, it's time to start talking to them like they're adults. So healthy, age-appropriate communication is crucial. We, we can't change our teens our kids, we can influence them. Influence them. John Lund, I'm a fan of John Lund. He's a member of the church as well. Many psychology professionals, including him. He's the author of How to Hug a Teenage Porcupine, which is another great book I recommend. And I put in their well-known organizations, meaning the church, I have shared that around the age eight, children are old enough to know right from wrong. So just like what we needed when we were their age. And I got to say, many of us didn't receive it completely or even at all. We need two things as kids, unconditional love and opportunities to practice making the right choice. Making mistakes really is what that's about. Guaranteed, your kids are going to make mistakes. You already know this. That's probably why you're here. Your kids have made mistakes. Kids always make mistakes. They're, they're not perfect and neither are we. It's going to be often sometimes, but their choices, just like ours, have a serious impact on other people. And, and it's painful. Sometimes it's like watching a train wreck about to take place, right? You know what's coming. You know that, that something is going to happen because they're just not making right choices. Something to consider as well is, do you feel shame? How often does shame show up in your life? How often do you hear that voice that tells you you're less than? Shame is a lie. It, it is a direct assault on our character, on our true identity. And we have to recognize that shame 
Shame creeps in. Whenever you hear a voice in your mind that tells you you are less than who you really are, it does not come from God. It doesn't come from God. God never will never tell you you're worthless or you're not good enough. He will never tell you you're a horrible parent. So when you hear those voices in your mind, please try to recognize them for, for who they really are, who they really come from. It's the enemy. Here's an awesome concept and principle. We don't probably, we probably don't talk about this enough, but this is called the notice it, name it, flip it, find it method. And this is how I, I talk about it. Notice the lie, name the lie, flip the lie by finding the truth. Usually that lie is manifest or shows up in the forms of thoughts and feelings. So when we have thoughts like shame is a thought, but it's also a feeling, right? It has a message that I'm not good enough in some way. So you have to be able to name it out loud. Talk to somebody, tell somebody that how you're feeling. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling hurt. I'm, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxiety, all these other, other things. To be able to say it out loud is what I call shining light in Satan's ugly face. And we flip that lie by telling ourselves the truth. I am a literal son of God. I am an amazing parent. I'm an awesome mother. That's the truth. So to notice something means to become aware of. What, what, is, what are some of the lies that you keep believing about yourself? That question sometimes shows up. What's wrong with you? Is there really something wrong with you? You're failing as a parent. Are you really failing as a parent? You're not. But Satan would have you believe that you are sometimes. Here's an interesting one. Number four is to be still and speak up. That That's a, we'll call that an oxymoron, I guess. But what I'm trying to say here is take time to listen. Just asking one question has major potential to give a lot of information, to get a lot of information from your kids. But it has to be asked in the right tone and in the right environment, the right time, and your intention has to be right as well. I put in here, I know some kids. When a therapist says, I know a guy, he's usually talking about himself. So I know some kids. Those are my kids. They leave out details on purpose. Give them opportunities to share all the details. So questions like, are there any parts of this story that you've left out? And if so, will you tell me? See, there's that will you again. Will you tell me? Listen to what the kids are saying. You know, I'm just, I'm realizing, I realized this earlier too, as I was putting the presentation together. I, I'm hoping that you all get something out of this, but this presentation was actually for me. So when I say, listen to what your kids are saying, I'm saying, Ben, listen to what your kids are saying, okay? And ask at the end of the day, I've done this before, but I, I needed to be better at, at asking this every night. What's your high and your low? What, what, was, what did you struggle with today? What were you successful at today? And then just be quiet and listen. Constant conversations with our kids about the effects of porn. We've already talked about how important that is. Start by carving out time to listen to podcasts, read books, gather information together, do it as a family. Take time to do that as a family. It's another thing I can be doing better at myself. Be willing to take risks with your kids. Say something like, I've been hesitant in having some difficult conversations and, and I'm ready to, to talk with a little bit more about these things. Will, will you go on a walk with me and, and talk about you know, whatever this is, about your friend, about what's going on in school? Will you let me ask you some important questions? Isn't that interesting? You ask a question if you can ask more questions. Will you let me know from now on when the enemy tries to convince you to lose a battle or to go against your values? Will you let me help you in the process? So we we'll shift gears a little bit and not focus on the kids, on our teenagers and, and our children, but on ourself, on me. This is one that I've been doing for about a year now is meditation. I'm going to suggest something too that might sound a little bit crazy. First of all, Thomas McConkie, member of the church and studied Buddhism and all kinds of different religions and whatnot. 
he he's doing some great things in our culture to help us understand more about the the concept and the idea of meditation to set time aside every day put put away all the distractions and just sit and listen it's extremely powerful i've had very lots and lots of spiritual experiences just by listening put away the music turn off everything i just sit here at my desk and I close my eyes and I just listen. Here's the crazy thing. I pay a membership fee to be able to meditate with people all over the world. I have some friends in Australia who do this. They What they do is they have these platforms for people to, to just jump on and meditate. And, and there's not really much conversation. It's just closing your eyes and just thinking, just allowing thoughts to come and go on their own accord. It's really, really powerful. I probably wouldn't do it if I didn't pay for it. So there's something we said for skin in the game in that way. So another one is journal writing. I'm going to suggest a couple of different ways to write in a journal. Maybe you write in your journal this way already. I don't know, but maybe this is these are, are new ways of writing. You, Many of us have already heard letters to God, but I'm, I'm suggesting writing a letter from God to you. This psychologically helps us start to understand how God thinks. And when we start writing that letter from him to us, it provides some pretty amazing insight into who we're trying to become like. And then writing letters to God, give, give to God your frustrations in, in a letter to him. Tell him about your struggles you've had throughout the day or the week or, or whenever. Another way of writing is through a discernment journal. And this was shown to me many, many years ago, but a uh, very, very powerful way to write as well. You start at the top of the page and you write down as many thoughts that came into your mind throughout the day that you can remember or over the last 24 hours. You just start writing those different thoughts that, that came into your mind. Once you're finished, you get to the bottom of the page, you go back to the top of the page and, and you assign each individual thought the source because there's only three sources. It's either it, the thought is either coming from you it's coming from Satan or from God through the Holy Ghost. So writing this way as a discernment journal helps us understand or become better with that gift of discernment. Whose voice is whose? And we're more likely to take action when we become, again, aware of what's going on inside our mind. Reading, studying. This is like, duh, right? We need to be reading and studying. Read from the best books as we've been taught, right? Spend time studying words of ancient modern prophets. Read with your friends, read with others. It's a great way to connect. In my groups, and, and those of you who have boys in any of my groups, they are assigned a reading partner as part of their reading goal. And they call each other up every day and they read one of five documents with each other. It's either the Family of Proclamation of the World, the Living Christ, the Proclamation on the Restoration, the Ironic Priesthood Quorum theme, and the Young Women theme. And I tell, I tell the boys, don't read the young women theme in first person. That would be weird. Read it in second or third person. Okay. So those five documents are, are in place to read with each other because they're the truth. They're like affirmations on steroids. And so reading with another person, these things and, and, and understanding the truths about, about ourself with another person, that's connection. That's the opposite of isolation. The opposite of addiction is not just, and Maurice has taught me this as well. It's not just about connection. It's about giving connection. So boys should be making the effort to call another person, giving that connection to, to other people instead of just waiting for somebody to call them. So they're required by me. And this is probably just a, a Ben thing. I'm not sure if any of the other clinicians do this or not, but this is something that I require of all of my boys and even my adult men is having reading partners. It's just that important. 
So find somebody to read with, whatever you're going to read, and it'll be helpful. Deepar, some of you have heard uh, Maurice talk about this often. This is really amazing. Uh, President Nelson has put this in place for the, the children. He's also recently started with our teenagers, our adolescents, uh, young men and young women as well. Discover, plan, act, and reflect. Take some time to draw things out, put them on a board, make, make some discoveries about things that you want to do in your life, how you want your life to be, and then start making plans. You start taking action, and then you go back and reflect on those things after a period of time. Make some more discoveries, and then plan some more, and then take some more action. And it becomes this awesome, beautiful cycle that creates a lot of amazing changes. This is where you can find that principle, these concepts, thechurchofjesuschrist.org. Go to Law Gospel Library, Audiences, Children or Youth, whichever one you want, and then Children and Youth, the Children's Guidebook or Youth Handbook, and then a Pattern for Growth, and you'll find that image there and, and everything uh, related to DPAR, Discover, Plan, Act, Reflect. I already know that you all are a lighthouse, not only to your children, but to everyone or everybody around you. There's something magnificent about you, and that's why you're here today. That's why you're taking the time to, to listen, because there's something really spectacular about you. So I'm preaching to the choir. I know this. But again, this is more for me. <laughs> than it is for you, I believe. I need to be a lighthouse. I need to shine that light. I want to share with you some the lyrics to a hymn that's not sung very often in church, but for me growing up, it was sung often by, it's in the men's section of the hymnal, and it's Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy. I grew up singing this in different acapella groups and barbershop quartets and things like that. And, and every time that I would sing it with a group of guys and feel that really awesome harmony and the lyrics, it just brings me to tears sometimes just thinking about my potential as somebody who can help other people. Brightly beams our father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore. But to us, he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin has settled. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue you, you may save. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother and sisters. Some poor sailor, tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seamen, you may rescue, you may save. That's us. We are the lower lights. We help other people. And I'm just filled with a lot of gratitude today, just knowing that, that God has created me for a specific purpose brought me here. And I'm grateful that I finally figured out what that purpose is. And I hope that for the rest of my life, I can do, continue to do what he's asked me to do in helping other people overcome these struggles and just be better in different ways. But I'm grateful again for all of you for being here. And again, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk just a little bit about something that I'm really, really passionate about. And thanks to Karen and BJ and Luann, and everybody at Life Changing Services again as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. So great. So appreciate it. Appreciate your message and your passion behind your message. So grateful for that. We're going to transition now into our Q&A. 
before we go in, and as we're getting started with our Q&A, we just really want to share the resources we have in Mothers Who Know with you because we know what great help they can be to our hearts and our minds as we navigate the stretchy things that are required of us. And Ben has given us so much information today about how to do that in a strong, more whole-brained way. But we're going to be putting in the chat our Mothers Who Know resources for you. So we hope that you can copy and paste those. But you can always find us at MothersWhoKnow.org and find our resources there. But yeah, so let's see. Ben, we are going to go. We're going to let you totally facilitate the Q&A. Thanks, Ben. BJ, do we have something in the chat already? Yeah, we have some questions in the chat. I think it would be kind of nice, Ben, you you referenced Sensahilaman and Menomoroni a couple of times. Can you just tell us briefly what those are? And we do have several questions that have that have come in already as well. Yep. So Sons of Helaman and Minamoroni are very, very similar programs. Just one, one is for mainly teenagers. The Sons of Helaman is for teenage boys. My youngest is actually 12 years old in, in my, my groups. I've, had, I've worked with several 12-year-olds before. And, and for me personally, I, I usually stop with Sons of Helaman or, or the cutoff for me is around 18 or 19 years of age. And then I'll transition them over to men of Moroni, a young single adult group, because they're getting older and they want to refer to themselves as men, manly men. And so, so, and then to have older guys who are, have returned from their missions, be in the same group with these younger guys who are working on going on a mission or they're struggling going on a mission, stuff like that. These older guys can be pretty awesome mentors for these younger guys, younger, older guys. So I transition them over to men of Moroni at that point. It, it, it really depends to case by case basis, but in general, that's how I like to, to work with them. But, and the men of Moroni program is started off with married, older, older married guys. And I've worked with older guys who are not married, who are single or divorced and things like that. But yeah, same, same thing. It, what's, what's distinguishing about Sons of Helaman and Men of Moroni is it's not a recovery program. It's training. It's all about how to become real men, how to understand how to fight. Many of us men were never really taught how to fight, how to show up and be real, how to express our feelings. And so we don't just talk about it. We practice it as well. And yeah, really, really powerful, powerful stuff. I, I'm going to, I'm going to toot my own horn here for a second. I participated in a Men of Moroni group for myself in the beginning. Back then, there was no such thing as clinician-led groups. It was all mentor-led men and Moroni groups. And so I saw the need for clinician-led groups and approached Maurice about it. And he said, go for it, Ben. So I started the first clinician-led men and Moroni groups. I don't even remember how many years ago that was, but I've been going ever since. And I helped get started the young single adult programs as well. I'd like to say I had an influence in that, but I just started my own groups, I guess, and just kind of ran with it and kind of threw it out there and let other people decide whether it was good or not. And then, yeah, so those are, that's what Men and Moroni and Sons of Human are. Thank you, Ben. That's helpful. And then what if, what if someone, can you share what city are you based out of? Where do most of your clients come from? What if people are out of the state that you're in and interested in 
maybe some help from you. So I live in Lehigh, Utah. I grew up in the Four Corners area in a little teeny tiny town called Blanding. I call that the redneck part of Utah, but I currently live in Lehigh and I work with anybody all over the world. I have a guy in Australia right now I'm working with. He's in one of my groups, another one in Hawaii. I've had guys from Germany and all kinds of other places as well. So I work with anybody. Okay, great. Thank you. And how does somebody find out about it? What if they're thinking, I want my son to join one of your groups or find out about Sons of Helaman or I'll do this. Let's I'll put it in here. There's a link. You can book a 30 minute. I call it a discovery session with me. It's just 30 minutes and it's free. There's no charge. And you can just jump on and ask any kind of questions and get to know me. I found this really, really helpful. A lot of people are leery about starting and have all kinds of questions and want to know certain things and, and get to know the therapist they're going to work with or want to understand a little bit more about how, how I work and how a therapist does things. And so I just offer this as something that anybody can jump on and book an appointment with me anytime. And I'll put it in the chat. So you'll have that. Thank you. A couple more questions and I can see some more in the chat and some that are, that we just had come in. This one is, can you share just a little bit more about the notice it, name it, flip it, find it. Maybe an example of how that might work with a real thought or feeling. So it's, it, I talk about it all the time with regards to uh, pornography, but in, in any, anytime we go against our values or we give in a temptation, it's because we have believed a lie. Anytime we give in, it's because we believe a lie. We, we've been seduced. We've been manipulated in some way to believe a lie about us or somebody else, right? So, so it, you have to be able to notice the lie because if you don't notice it, you're not going to change, right? You're not going to figure it out. It's just, you're just going to keep doing the same things. And, and that can be with, with shame. It can be with anything I, I talked about. Well, let me share with this one. This one probably is more, more of a problem than any, even shame. Personally, I believe fear is the most debilitating emotion that we have. Even underneath shame, Satan's trying to make us feel fear. And, and I think he uses fear with all of those negative emotions. So once we can identify what we are afraid of and, and recognize that it, it's all a lie, Satan's trying to get us to believe, then we can name it out loud. We can say, I'm feeling fear right now. I'm afraid that something is going to happen. In fact, that's what control is about. I, I struggle. I'm a control freak. I, I have difficulties with, with controlling my kids and, and circumstances and different things. I'm getting better at it and not being in control. But for some reason, I've just grown up with this idea that I need to be in control. When I'm not in control, I, I get stressed out. Can anybody else identify with that? Does that resonate with anybody? I get stressed out when I'm not in control. And and it's almost like on a daily basis where my kids, I just want them to do certain things and they don't do them. And I, it bothers me. And so uh, really it comes down to, I'm afraid that something is going to happen because they're not being obedient. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose it. I'm going to, you know, fly off the handle and, and go into this rage, which is a paradox actually, because rage is also about fear. So notice the lie, name the lie, name it out loud. And, and like I said earlier, Talk to somebody, tell somebody how you're feeling, learn how to express that in a healthy way to somebody else. That's why the writing is so important. Writing a letter to God is so crucial because you can get those, those emotions out 
on paper, writing it out as neurological chemical reaction takes place when you write those things down and then flip that lie by telling yourself the truth. You can even ask other people to tell you the truth. Am I really a horrible mom? Am I really a horrible parent? And get that affirmation from somebody else. Sometimes that's what's required. We, we can't even see it in ourselves. Sometimes it's so thick. In fact, that's, that's I, I call it marinating in Satan's bullcrap. It's just that thing. It's just horrible. It's so toxic. So instead of marinating in the bullcrap lies, we can marinate in the truth about ourselves. That's not pride. That's just, I'm acknowledging that I have a part in God's plan for his children. And, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do today and show up for myself, for other people. And we have to, we have to show up for ourselves. So notice the line, name the lie, flip the lie by finding the truth. I hope that's a little bit more clear. Thank you, Ben. I like your, what you said about Karen says something similar as far as don't sign up for what satanic spa treatment or something. I can't remember, <laughs> but just heightening your awareness around that is really awesome to be able to do just along the lines of lies and ones that mothers might be marinating in. You mentioned that there's a lie you're failing. You mentioned that in your presentation and you said, you're not moms. You know, how can moms feel like we're not failing when your kids are making lots of horrible, hurtful decisions and choices. How do you separate that out? And any thoughts there for our moms? Oh my gosh, this is so hard. So hard to do. I feel it as a father as well. Just there, it seems like there's so many mistakes being made that it has to be, I'm, I'm the common thread in all of this, right? It has to be me, even though I project onto my kids, my own insecurities and things like, and I'm not perfect by any means, but I don't know if there's any real magic wand or, or bullet here to, to be able to change that paradigm and understand it really comes down to practicing. And again, it's just, this is me. This is, this is for me practicing uh, on understanding how God feels about me. And if I listen to his voice often enough, the, the truth is that I'm not failing. I'm just giving it my best. I'm making mistakes along the way. And I try to repent. I try to change. I try to figure new ways out and, and I don't give up. And the fact that I'm here, that I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to figure out new ways of doing things and other options it says a lot about my character, about who I really am. I really do care. I really want my kids to be successful. And it's time, it's time to pause for a moment. Just pat yourself on the back. Give yourself some credit and some mercy. I mean, we give the mercy to our kids and to other people all the time. We have such a hard time giving it to ourselves. I know I do. I've got a lot lot to, to work on in that department for sure. But yeah, give yourself some mercy. Try to see yourself how God sees you. You'd be surprised. Oh, thanks for the reminder, Ben. Okay. We do have a few more um, questions that we have here. We'll just kind of see how far we get. And if you have any questions that we don't get to just know that we have lots of opportunities to ask questions to different therapists and through motherswhoknow.org. And so we'll, we'll leave a little bit of information for that in the chat as well. Let's see another question is, is you talked a little bit about how expectations can be negative for our kids and lead to shame. We're just wondering how, do you have an example of what it might look like to be careful with those expectations? And then also just the distinction between still having hope and for our kids, but, and then how that fits with expectations. Here's how it plays out for me. <laughs> Use myself and put myself on the spot here. When I expect, and I, this, this hits home really, really, really hard here right now, because I, my 14 year old steps 
grandson is, is struggling. He's having difficulties understanding the principles of obedience and just doing what you're asked to do. We lay out for the, these different things that we'll call them expectations. We're expecting him to do these certain jobs, to make his bed and brush his teeth and, you know, do all these different things before he goes to school. Well, many times those things don't get done at all. And when I expect him to have those things done, I'm setting myself up for failure because he is not going to do them. And I've already figured out that many times he's not going to do them just to spite me. And so thinking that he's actually going to do them, it's kind of a setup for disappointment and heartache and pain, not just for me, but, but I react instead of responding, I react in a really negative way towards him. And I'm really harsh with him sometimes. And I give him more consequences. I take things away from him and he doesn't like that at all. And it just creates a big, huge wedge between me and him. So it's different. And I've tried this. I've experimented with this quite a bit. Instead of expecting him to do those things, I'm just hoping I'll lay them out. I'll put a little card, a three by five card on the, on the counter for him in the mornings before he goes to, to school. And in the summertime, it's easy because he's home all day. So he knows, I know he's going to see it and he'll have his three by five card there with all of the, the different tasks that he, he needs to get done that day in order for him to get the reward to get the, the thing that he wants for the day. And that's playing with his friends and hanging out and stuff like that. But if he doesn't get those things done, then he knows he can't do that. So it's really challenging during the school year when he's only got a short period of time to get some things done. And I probably put too much on him to get done before he goes to school. And so by the time he gets home from school, I'm already like, you didn't get this done. And I'm not very nice to him. I try to come back later after blown a fuse or I've been a little bit harsh on him and give him a hug and tell him, let's start over again. Let's try this again tomorrow and, and we'll try to have a better day tomorrow. So I sometimes say, I hope your attitude changes, but really it's my attitude that needs to change. It's not really him. It's me. I've got to see him more how God sees him and try to treat him how God would treat him. That's the, that's the hard part, isn't it? As a parent to see our kids, how God sees them. Sometimes I just want to beat him, but that's not going to do anything either. Right? So, but that's the feeling sometimes. And, and it's pretty strong. It's upset and angry at me and I get upset and angry at him. And it's just this awful, ugly cycle. Well, I keep telling him when he fights with his brother, well, somebody's got to start. Somebody's got to do the right thing first. And I tell the 14 year old, I tell him, it's got to be you. And then I tell the 16 year old, it's got to be you. And so I'm always telling each other, telling both of them, well, I told him the same thing I just told you. So who's going to start? Well, actually, again, it's me. I need to be the one that starts. I need to be the one that shows mercy and lets him start over again. I've been too blessed in my own life to experience too much mercy from God to not be merciful with, with him, with my, my own kids. So boy, I'm giving all kinds of dirt away about myself today. Shoot. <laughs> we love it. We relate to all of that. So let's try and squeeze in just this last question. This question is from a mom that lives in a different state than her son, who's going to college. And this son is recently enrolled in the sense of healing program. And this mom's just uh, really um, been trying to learn and watch some of Maurice's videos and, and we'll be starting the like dragons. Did they fight? It's a book that Maurice wrote to help understand lots of these principles and tools that are taught in life-changing services programs. You can get a free download of that book, actually. We'll see if Luann will put that in the chat for us. It's like dragonsfree.com. But do you have some suggestions for a mom who has a, a son in another place wanting to be supportive of this son and not sure maybe some top things that she can do 
but also not be, let's see what, how she worded that. Don't want to overreach right now. Have any, a couple of thoughts before we finish here on what she could do. First thing that comes to mind is, is Elder Bednar and, and his way of teaching. He talks so much about the, the power of inviting and asking people to consider certain things instead of saying, you need to do this or you need to do that. Just make an invitation. And I use the, will you? thing in, in my presentation about just asking, will you, will you consider this? Will you try this out? Will you talk to somebody else? Will you, will you go to your institute activities and, and try to meet new people? Will you try this out? Will you try that? Out? And just, and just make invitations. That's like awesome missionary work. That's what missionary work is, is just making invitations. And, and again, hoping that something will stick and eventually it will. Eventually something great will happen because of just one little invitation. Thank you so much, Ben. Okay, Karen, we're going to go ahead and go to you to, to help wrap us up. Okay, yeah, Ben, if you'll just be thinking, what, what is my final thought of hope that I want to share with these ladies before, before we go? But thank you again for coming today. Thank you for your time spent here. And thank you, Ben, for reiterating how much we matter and how much we do. And how important we are. Really, I just have felt that that spirit and a gratitude for you expressing that and also showing us in such a generous way that, you know, we're not alone, but even you struggle with those feelings. And yeah, such a neat presentation. After Ben shares his final message of hope, our webinar is over, but we're going to stay after for about five minutes just to answer any questions you have or just to be a support to you. If, if there's something you didn't get in our webinar or that you're wondering about life-changing services or Mothers Who Know or Ben Smith, but we'll just stay about five minutes after Ben finishes his final message of hope. But I would just remind you of that powerful scripture that I said at the beginning. It's our theme for Mothers Who Know. And I think just Ben's podcast, the name of his podcast, you know, Face the fear is just so great because the scripture is God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But if we don't face the fear, we can't really get to the spirit God gave us. It's almost a requirement because it's not that we're not going to feel fear, we're going to feel it. But to face it and then to know what to do it with, it with it, like your notice, name, flip and find a big deal so we hope that you'll come and join us in our mom power training and learn more about that so ben we're ready for your final message i'm just overwhelmed with with gratitude and and th there is hope as, as difficult as painful as this struggle is and how sexualized or we can even say sexually saturated our culture is there's still hope there's always hope and i'm just grateful for the opportunity to have to to choose right from wrong and to choose to continue to fight. And so as tradition in Sons of Helaman and Men and Moroni, we share why we fight. So I'll just share just a little bit about my reason for why I fight. I fight to be on the right side of history. When pornography came in and took over our culture, we have two answers we can give to our children about what we did with all of that. Either we say, 
sorry, I was asleep at the wheel. Or we turn around and we say, I fought tooth and nail for you because you're worth it. And I fought to be on that right side of history. So guess what? We won because you matter. We have two choices and now it's our turn to choose. That's why I fight. That's it. That's all I have. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Ben. Thank you everyone for being here.